Today's episode of the podcast is a little different, and it, and it wasn't really planned as part of season two, but here it is. It's just a little more context and information about a post I made on Facebook yesterday about my mother, our relationship, which is not good, and um, the letter I wrote to her, which I hope starts the process of healing, self-healing, and and perhaps, if we're lucky, uh, the healing of the relationship. Hopefully there's something in here that you can find useful and a little more context if you read the post yesterday. Thank you for listening. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this bonus episode of the podcast where I talk a little bit about my family, my decision to go no contact, no or little contact with my mom, my only surviving parent, Um, a little bit about my Facebook post yesterday and what it means or how I've come about to uh, make this first step, I would call it. I'm I'm not at the end of this process. This has been an ongoing process, but the first step towards, um, you know, healing, wholeness, some sense of normalcy internally um, so I can better function in the world as an adult and a parent. Um, first things first, I'm not going to go into too many details about, um, the rift, what caused the rift. Um, I'm not going to, this is not a a forum for me to bash my mother. That's just not what's going to happen with this. It's, it's not important. I'm going to sort of emphasize the the journey I've been through, but, um, nothing illegal happened. I don't want to get people thinking, um, you know, there was sort of abuse, or um, incest or something lurid like that. Uh, but, you know, we all have our family stuff. And I would call this um, generational trauma, I think is the word that sort of kicks around. But my um, reaction to it and my basically insistence that I wasn't going to continue this cycle of generational trauma um, that my family has perpetuated. Again, you look inside your own family, you can see things similar. I hope you can't, but I'm pretty sure that everyone has their skeletons and everyone has their issues. So it's not going to be a um, a bash fest on my mom, and it's not going to be too detailed about the incidents or the prolonged um, prolonged incidents, which has you know caused me seven years ago at this point, six or seven years ago, really to cut off contact. So a little bit about the letter yesterday first. Uh, I'll start there and then fill in some of the some of the details. So I think I bared down uh, a lot in the past year and a half, two years about just seriously no contact, no, and I stuck, I stuck with it. Very, very difficult to do that, but I, I think I got serious about that. So uh, a prolonged um, issue between us that came to a head following my father's death in 2013. It was not a rash decision. It's not like we had a fight and then a couple of words were said and we decided not, I decided not to speak to her ever again or something like that. It wasn't one thing that caused this, but a, a combination and over many, many years of things. And we'll go into that a, a little bit. Um, it, it was not an easy decision. And several times in the past seven years, I tried to write letters or open up contact. I'd get a text from my brother. Um, we we'd had some sort of attempt at um, reconciliation or restoration, uh, but, but fruitless. It really came to nothing. 
after two years now or seven years of no, 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 little or no contact and two years of no contact, I've been no contact, no or little contact with my mother since 2014. Um, and I've been thinking about this. It has not, it, it was not an easy decision. I woke up yesterday and I wrote her a letter. This is something, uh, two reasons. Why did you do this yesterday? Number one, uh, the holidays are coming and it's a particularly difficult, difficult time. If your family is fragmented, if your family is broken, if there, if there are problems, um, everything our culture tells us about there's no place like home for the holidays, um, home and family, um, go together with these holidays. So we're entering a stretch of time where traditionally, uh, you know, it's getting darker and, uh, energy lowers a little bit, but traditionally been a difficult time for me from Halloween, my birthday in November, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and, uh, New Year's Eve. There's a lot of holidays packed into this uh, next two months and a lot of talk about families and a lot of Hallmark cards and a lot of shows on television, which tell you that your family is perfect and important and the most important thing. And there's nothing else. So you get that message from media and culture and you live a different, I live a different experience. It's, it's not rosy. It's not great. It's not um, sort of worth it's not sort of worth pursuing it. It's, it's not good in, in my situation. Um, so that, that comes up. And number two, um, I have been married for now it's going to be 22 years, 23 years, 1998 to 2001, 23 years this January, Julie and I will be married for 23 years. And I'm noticing since the no contact, I have transferred a lot of the feelings uh, about my mother onto my wife, unfairly, unjustly. She does not deserve that. Um, so, you know, I found a new person to be mad at. I found a new person to be upset with. I found a new person to blame or to, you know, just, I, 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 I recreated this relationship I had with my mother, this very dysfunctional relationship, as you'll hear, with my wife. And, I, and she doesn't deserve that. That's not right. Um, but I've noticed that. So I'm, I'm, I'm opening up my eyes to a little bit of an awareness of how I, how this fundamental relationship with my mother has uh, affected and infected my very, very important, newly most important uh, relationship in my life with my wife. And, and, you know, frankly, she deserves better than that. Um, so I want to try to improve the way Julie and I interact and the way uh, the kids and I interact um, I, I, will say for all our crap, um, my wife and I do are pretty, uh, conscious of the way we raise our kids and we, and we try to, we, we do talk about generational trauma. We do talk about the way, some of the ways where we were brought up were not the way we bring them up. Um, it's just, it's just a fact of life, nothing against our parents. I sometimes, you know, we think they do the best they could maybe. Um, but we, I say that. They did the best they know how to at the time um, with their particular personalities and cultural expectations. I, I think they did the best they knew how to is better the best they could, but whatever that's, that's semantics right now. So the holidays are a bad time. And I've noticed that um, my relationship with my wife and my children are being impacted by this. Uh, I call it a filter that I see the world through that is uh, has really been colored by the relationship with my mother. So 
Okay. There's the, there's the background for this. So yesterday I get up and I write a letter and it's, it's in the mail. It's on the way to, to New York, to my mother, thinking about it for a long time. Again, tried to do this before. I said three main things in the letter. Um, number one, I told her I loved her. I told her I missed her. And I told her this period of little or no contact has been difficult. This is not a decision that I just made one day in a fit of rage or a fit of anger. And I'm now living with the consequences. But I wanted to know that um, I thought about her. I do. And um, I see her as a person. I value her as a human being. And that this this thing is just, just as not easy as it may seem. Uh, number two, I, I acknowledged, uh, and this was the, probably the longest part of the letter, I acknowledged that her life has not been easy. And I'll give a little context about my mother and my family at this point. Um, the important thing you need to know at this point is um, my mother was an only child who lived with her parents for her entire life or for their entire lives. As long as my mother and my parents were alive simultaneously, they were living next to each other. In, in Limbrook, New York, where I grew up, um, my grandparents, we had a duplex. My grandparents lived upstairs. Apparently, my grandparents owned this and my parents paid them rent. I want to say just... Um, at this point, I thought this was awesome growing up, being so close to my to my grandparents. Um, we had dinner upstairs, as we called it, uh, once a week, regularly, Sundays at four, very, very early dinner. But, you know, we, they had to get to bed. They're older people. We had Christmas and holidays. It was, it was very, very convenient, and it was very, very easy. It was very, very cool to be around my grandparents. My grandfather was, I, we, we call him a saint, Grandpa Joe. Um, it was a really, really, really solid guy. My, most of my memories are going to church at, um, you know, Our Lady of Peace in Lumbrook, New York with my grandfather. We did the very early 7.30 in the morning Sunday service. My grandmother, I thought was hilarious. Uh, some of it, some of the humor, um, we'll see, wasn't the kindest <laughs> type of humor, especially as it was directed towards my mother. But I, 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 I loved being there. My grandparents or my great-grandparents owned the house, which we call upstate in Huguenot, New York. So our summer home cottage, a very, very a small house on a three-acre plot in Huguenot, New York, where New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania meet, um, was in my, my grandmother's family. Um, so that is where we spent the summertime. And again, lots of um, really good memories, mostly about uh, doing summers up there. You know, as I said in my uh, talk to the Texas A&M students, which probably is a good a good um, piece of the puzzle here, how this fits in with my family. Um, I really liked going upstate till about 11th grade, 10th or 11th grade, where I felt like I needed to get a job or I miss my friends from Limbrook or I wanted to be in a more exciting place during the summer. But uh, from, you know, up until 10th grade, it was really, it was really, really a, a place where I liked to go. So, um, yeah. So the second thing, the second thing I said in the letter was I understand. So my mom, only child, lives with her family, lives with her parents. Um, I have to say uh, there that 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 was tough for her. At fifteen or fourteen, I became aware of the fact that my mother's primary fear in life was that she would grow old and be alone. Um, I don't know if that is something you share with a child. She did it somehow. 
that somehow um, you know got to my attention. And I, I, I'm going to take a pause here too because there's layers here. Um, I have two older brothers. They're four and five years older than me. So just how, how the family works. I'm the youngest child and there's a four-year gap. So once my, my brothers went to school, I was basically like an only child too. I mean, I was the only one home for four years before I started school. So I felt special. I felt like I was some, sometimes in the family dynamic world, they called this the golden child, but I felt like uh, a little bit of a favorite. My brother, Paul, the uh, oldest is the firstborn. He has sort of that status. I feel awful for my brother, Brian, the middle child, typical middle child syndrome. I'm wedged in the middle there and then sort of the golden child um, at the end. So I had the benefits of being an only, uh, uh, a youngest child and uh, an only child for a little bit because first four years of my life, I'm by myself. And then my brothers move on out of the house and there we are again, just the three of us, my dad, my mom, all my grandparents and, and me. So that's how the sort of family structure works. Um, so I knew very early on or, or too early, I think that my mother was motivated by this fear of being, of being alone. Um, and I didn't, my own personality, my own aspirations, my own ambitions didn't really jibe with her idea of, um, of what I should do with my life or where I should do it. So strike one for me is when I decided to go out of state away from, uh, New York to college. And this was, this sounds sick, but this was a bet we had. Uh, I found out about Bowdoin College through a neighbor in Huguenot, upstate. Our neighbor was being recruited for football. Uh, I knew nothing about the, the college. Um, but although I felt loved and supported, and I, I want to emphasize that, as a young person, as a teenager, I still wanted to go away from home. And in fact, it became so, I felt a little smothered. Um, it became my primary motivation, my primary, the primary reason I wanted to go to college was to leave home. And I wanted to go to a place that was far enough away from home. So I got a push pin that I put on Limbrook and I, I basically drew a 500 mile radius. You know, I wasn't crazy at that point. I'm not going to California or Texas or Florida. Um, and um, I knew a little bit about Bowdoin College from my neighbor's experience. My dad and I went up there and visited. Um, it's nothing, it's like basically nothing I, I, I experienced in my life. I, I said a little bit in, in the other episode. So that was strike one, I have to say. My, and my mother and I had a bet. Um, if I couldn't get into Bowdoin College, which was highly selective, which is a highly selective liberal arts school, um, I would go to Hofstra University and live at home for at least initially. My brother, Paul, went to Fordham and lived at home for a year. The commute got too hard. Uh, my brother, Brian, went to Cobleskill College, which was closer to the house upstate. So we were still sort of in the nest, even though we were going to college. We're all first-generation students, college students. My, uh, my parents did not attend university. Um, but we're still in the nest and, and I, I broke this rule that, that, that there was no way, there was no way. So despite feeling loved and supported, I still wanted to go away. And, and that was strike one because my mother just didn't do that. You basically live to serve your family or to serve your parents. And, um, that's, that's the way it is. So strike one, I went to college. Now, I go to college and 
they're supportive. Obviously, they're financially supportive. But um, I conducted a musical in junior year. My parents come up from New York. My parents came to graduation. So it wasn't this really big rift then, but it was just just strike one. Um, after graduation, however, I did, I did not have a job lined up. Um, I stayed in Limbrook or upstate the summer after my senior year of college. And when August rolled around, you know, you got to, I took some time off. I uh, you know, relaxed a little bit. I had a girlfriend who lived in New York City. So there's a lot of visiting, you know, her and spending time and doing that, doing, doing things with her. Um, but I went, I did a couple job interviews, did not get the job. August rolled around and it seemed like the second chance for her to have me at home. Um, so at that point in time, I rejected the offer to stay at home and to live in New York and get my feet on the ground and live in Limburg. Um, and I moved back to Maine and it wasn't, um, pretty. So this is strike two. This was very, very contentious. Um, and my mother and I didn't speak from, for basically six months following that important piece of information here. The two, the two prongs of here. My mother's alive, and so I, can t I, I think the issue is with her right now, but it's really with my family and my father, too. My father left. My father has a broken relationship with his mother. So there are two options in my family that I grew up around was no contact. My, I don't know the reason, but after he graduated, my father joined the Navy. Um, this is sad and sick, but I grew up thinking that my, or hearing from him, how my other grandmother was, was dead. She, she was not alive and when she was very much alive living in Brooklyn or Queens or something like that. We saw her a few times. We went to some party and I was like, geez, I thought this woman was dead. Where are we going to a party? Um, figuratively, he meant, but, but he was serious. We had some contact with my uh, aunt who lived closer to our home upstate. Um, no contact with another one of my father's brothers. So one side of the family is conflict arises, cut them off. No no contact, no parents, no grandparents. The other side of the family is living with us. So two options there were, were presented. So moving ahead, um, very contentious after, after college strike two. And, um, so six months of no talking, I believe I apologized after six months. I probably wrote a letter. That seems to be a thing I, I've done. I apologized, wrote a letter. Um, unfortunately, there's no real reconciliation. There's no talking. There's moving on. So I would come back later, or Julie would mention something to my mother about how this time, this about this time period, and she would pretend she didn't know about it. She's like, I don't know what you're talking about. There was a time where I had Christmas in Maine with a few friends that that year. Uh, did not go home for Christmas. Did not see my family, probably for the first time. And my mother has would say she had no recollection of this. So we like to do the denial thing when the, when the, um, when the uh, issues get a little difficult. Okay. So two strikes, really not a lot of, um, in-person contact with my parents for the next couple of years. I lived in Orno, Maine. I lived in Fort Kent, Maine, and then I got in the university of Colorado. So still, um, I guess, you know, I'm being supported. They understand that music is not a hobby for me. I get, I get a little bit of that. If you're going into music, like most people in the arts get from their parents, especially if they're not college educated or in the arts. Um, but didn't feel like there was a rift. My grandfather had died in this period of time. I remember coming back from Orno to New York for that funeral. 
So one of the parents is 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 gone now. But um, when I went to Colorado, this was great. My dad drove me out there um, and took a took a plane back. And at the end of my first year at the University of Colorado, my parents come out. Very good memories. We have lots of pictures. They visited. Uh, we went to Pikes Peak and Garden of the Gods and Colorado Springs and Boulder. But I feel like they're they're on my team here um, in that period as well. And when I got married, I met my wife at University of Colorado. My parents came out in 1998. Our wedding was in January. Uh, I felt like they were they were supportive. Um, Julie might have a different perspective on that, you know, because the my the the other woman, the wives and girlfriends, are competition. We we realized competition with my mother for our affection. Um, apparently, she grew up thinking or feeling that affection was something that was finite. That I could not love both my wife and my mother. And um, I know the other spouses of my brothers at cer certain points felt the same way as well. But still, um, here we are. Um, they're all coming out to Colorado. We have a, a good relationship. You know, a little, a little much to ask them to come out to, for graduation on that. They did, did not, I did not feel slighted. I'm a sort of an adult now. So mommy and daddy don't need to be at all my events. Um, but I, I saw them my first year. And then I got a job in Western Colorado. We are probably traveling back and forth to see them. I, I can't think of any, any, any problems. Uh, then I got a job in South Dakota. And my dad, my wife was pregnant. Julie was pregnant with Madeline as we were traveling. We, I had taken a one-year job at Colby College, so I was back in Maine. But when we went from Colby to New York to South Dakota with a dog, with everything for my first real job, our first house, my dad drove out and uh, my mom, my mom came out at some point. So when, after my uh, daughter was born, after Madeline was born. So still feel like things are, are okay. Now, you don't want to think of the show. Everyone loves Raymond and think of that mother. That's my mother times a hundred or my mother is her times a hundred. Um, the guilt and they sometimes call it the Jewish mother or the Italian mother. It's the guilt. It's no one loves me. It's it, but a lot of the guilt and a lot of the sort of passive aggressive that, 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 that's a constant. Um, and again, because feelings and emotions aren't really outwardly articulated. We get a lot of that sort of passive aggressive stuff. And I'll tell you when you're flying across the country or driving, when you're poor, when you're poor, when you're the least, have the smallest income of anyone in your family, and you're getting in the car and driving from Colorado to New York or taking two kids on a plane from Colorado to New York, um, and then you hear about how it's not good enough, it's not a deal breaker right there, but it's tiresome. It makes you sort of say, why am I doing this? Why am I going to the effort for my very important family is the most important thing. Families must be together on Christmas, but boy, it seems it starts becoming a pain in the rear um, to invest this time and invest this money to just get, feel like how you're not measuring up. It, it's tiresome. And, and, you know, again, that's not the deal breaker, but that's a, a constant throughout this. It's not just all this is light because we're not sort of, aggravated at each other or hostile towards each, towards each other um, constantly. Um, so, so we go to South Dakota and um, that feels pretty good too, or it feels, you know, dysfunctional, but the guilt, but we're still talking we're still there for each other. And we still talk on the telephone and we still visit when we can. It's never enough, by the way, I'm never enough. I could spend weeks there 
and it's never enough. But then it's too much at the same time because we don't do things correctly because we're adults and we have our own way of thinking. And that is really what became down the issue is, um, is it starts going south when you start asserting your independence because for whatever reason, whether it was fear or guilt, she did not assert her own independence. So she does not know how to say no to her parents. She sucks it up. That's what you do in her, in, in her worldview. You suck it up and you do what your parents say. You can be miserable in the process, but that's what you do. And I, and I wrote that too. Um, I wrote, I know you took care of a lot of people in your life. You took care of your parents. You took care of your aunt, my aunt Lillian, my grandmother's sister was very sick at the end of her life. And she lived upstate until she died. Um, and that's, and I said to her, that's very admirable. It didn't seem like, however, that this brought you joy. It seemed like you did this out of obligation and you wanted to pass that obligation on to us. I did it. Therefore you must do it. And I made it clear when I was 16, 17 years old, that I wasn't doing this. And I think at that time, my, my whole life in, um, since that point was a, was a competition, was a game that she was kind of going to get one of us to do this. Uh, or she wanted to get me to do this. My brother lived next door. My brother bought into the sort of family mythos. My brother lives with her now. Brian does. Um, but he stayed close. He stayed close and he stayed available and he was going to take care of his parents. And that sort of wasn't good enough. It might be good enough now. I'm not sure. But it didn't seem like that was enough that one of us did that for whatever reason. But living at, just because she lived out of obligation doesn't mean uh, I had to or I wanted to. Um, so we get to the point where my grandmother dies. Um, so I, I see what's happening. I mean, or, or I could see what, like having the distance, I can see what happened as these people in her life start passing away. She, that, that fear of hers is coming a little more to the surface of being, um, uh, left alone. Um, but still, and, and, and then the, the aggressiveness and the, you know, she gets sort of active about making her plan to have one of us live with her and take care of us. Again, I say one of us, but my brother lived next door. My brother got married. My brother, Brian got married and lived next door to, my, to this house we had upstate so he's right there um but still doesn't she doesn't feel comfortable enough with us for whatever reason either she doesn't she looks at him as the guy who was always there which he was or for some reason that wasn't satiating to her that didn't that didn't maybe we all needed to be there she was one kid you know she didn't have three brothers that that, that lived with her parents um so I'm, I'm i'm just not sure of what's happening there um so there it is in a nutshell. And when my father died in 2013, I have to say it, it finally just boiled over for her. Um, every, everything she centered her life around was gone. And I understand this and I have sympathy for this and I have empathy for this. And I spent a year um, communicating that to her. Um, but, you know, it, it was, that was sort of the last straw for her. And, and this part doesn't... Uh, I'm not going to say it doesn't, doesn't need to be said. And then some of the sort of, I know people take their time to grieve and I have to under, and I, and I try to 
look at this um, through that veil or through that filter that my mother is grieving. Everything she's known is gone for her. But I still think there's a little bit of responsibility. There, things happened in there where she was sort of actively impacting other people's lives through her pain. And um, I just thought it was a bridge too far. I, I couldn't endorse that. I couldn't stand by, actually, and, and, and watch it happen. And I, and I articulated that. And, and that was sort of the, the end of the road for us there in 2014. Okay, so <clears throat> my mother lives with her parents her whole life. And her lifetime is watching them, you know, the natural cycle of life as people die. And, you know, my, my grandmother, I, I knew was very critical of her. So you're obligated and you're taking care of these people and you're not getting this reciprocated. You're getting sort of criticism and you're not doing things right. I, and I apologize to her for this is I, I remember this pretty vividly. My grandmother would wink at me. She'd say something mean to my mother and wink at me and I would laugh along. Uh, I would, I, you know, so she's getting it from her mom and then she's getting it from her kids. She's probably getting it from her husband. Um, so then she'd sort of giggle along with, with this. Um, I'd giggle along with this and it, and, and, and it just wasn't right. So she's, she's putting herself out there for these, for her parents and being a good daughter and taking care of them. And she's not getting a whole heck of a lot in return. Um, so a, a, a long part of the letter said how I understood that this was not easy for her. I get it. I'm, I'm not saying you should just suck it up. I, I was there when these things happened and I understand what you, or I can sort of imagine what you might've been going through at the time, feeling not appreciated after you're extending yourself. Number three, however, is, is the real where things get gray and where things are the kicker. We don't have, in my family dynamic, we don't use the word forgiveness. We don't talk through things. We do not reconcile. We do not work through our problems. My father would yell. He'd basically shout you down. And I picked, a lot, I picked that bad habit up. And for a long time, that's the way I operated. So we just basically make a lot of noise like a barking dog until the problem goes away, until the person with the problem doesn't speak anymore. My mother sucks it up. So repression, she puts it down, doesn't talk out loud. Um, those are the two options that we're, that we're left with. Um, and as I've grown up, as I've become an adult, I've, as, as I've gotten outside the family dynamic, I've seen that that, <laughs> that that is not, I don't want to say normal, but it's, it's not healthy. It's normal for us, but not a, not a healthy way of uh, negotiating conflict and interacting with the world. There's going to be conflict. There are going to be people that you disagree with. There are going to be people who hurt you and who, and who do bad things. But I'm, I'm left with two options, either bark at them or just suck it up. There's nothing you can do. Deal with it by not dealing with it. And so I, I said to her in the letter, unless something has changed in the past six or seven years, in parentheses, I doubt it has. I didn't say that. But unless something has changed, we don't do forgiveness. We don't do I'm sorry. We don't do I apologize and move on. We simply don't. My, my, we simply don't. My dad stopped speaking to, my mo to his mother. My dad cut off one of his brothers. My mother, my aunt Lillian had a 
spousal issue where they didn't speak and we cut them off. So we have all in my family tree, we have all of these missing relatives uh, that we just didn't speak to. We don't speak to anymore. And my mother, who's the peacemaker, is um, just, just buries it, buries all this stuff. She sucks it up. One day, she, one day someone will treat her right. One, she waits for this day. One day someone will take care of her the way she's been taking care of all these people and not complaining. Well, actively complaining, you know, outwardly complaining, passive aggressive. Yes. But, uh, outwardly complaining, you know? Um, and so one day that, that time will come and, um, she'll get what she deserves, what she's entitled to. Um, but you know, that's a bargain that you don't make with your kids. That's, that, that's, that's, a, that's not part of being a parent is, um, you make this deal that, you know, I did this, therefore you do the same thing. Again, I realized and I said this to her, I saw that you weren't happy in this. Why would you want me to do this? Why would you want me to, to take this on? So at the end of the day, um, I want to be very clear. I didn't get on my high horse and say, I forgive you for the things you did to me or the things I perceive you did to me. I think that's more of a two-way street. Um, I, I guess I have sort of internally, I don't, by, 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 you know, by saying I know that it wasn't easy for her, I didn't want to absolve her of responsibility, but I'm not making her this, um, you know, you're an evil person for, I can understand why she operates the, the way she does. Um, it, now I can, it's easy for me to see. And if I looked in my, in my past, I could see the little flags on, on why this has happened. This is not a surprise to me, but, um, I did not do this thing where I, I am the bigger person or on the higher ground. And I, you know, unilaterally apologize, I apologized for my part, but unilaterally forgived her for what I think she did. Uh, I want to make that very clear. I don't know how important that is. I'm not, I mean, I, I have the sense of a little more sense of lightness and clarity about all this since I wrote this um, letter yesterday. Um, but I, I, I think that's a two way street. I think there, someone needs to sort of ask for forgiveness. Um, I could be wrong about that. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a counselor. I'm not a doctor, but I, I feel very uncomfortable unilaterally proclaiming that I've, I've forgiven you. Um, even though I may have done it inside. Um, and I said, you know, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I left it open, but I, I, I didn't say, I want, I hope one day we can reconcile. I hope one day um, things can be back to where they would be. I didn't pull the kid card out. My kids miss her. My kids miss her terribly. My Madeline remembers who she is. My, my son was too little um, at this point. He, we have lots of pictures and he gets reminded. But um, Madeline has a better idea. And he misses her, misses her a lot. Misses having that, again, it's a little bit cultural and normal having the culture tells her you're go, go to your grandma's house on on Thanksgiving. And we haven't done that for a while and uh, she misses it. So uh, I didn't leave it. I didn't put any expectations on it. I didn't say, I know, you know, let's talk in a, in a week when you call me because you know, it, I don't want to say it takes two to tango, but my phone works. My phone receives phone calls. My brother has texted me several times, a passive aggressive, you know, have your kids call their grandmother. I've got a, a few years ago, like it's somehow their response. 
Like it's somehow their responsibility to make this okay. And I think that's another issue there. I mean, I didn't plan on saying that right now, but there it is. He has sort of bought into the family mythos that the children are responsible for the parents. So when I get the text, have your kids call their grandmother. I mean, why would they do that? <laughs> I mean, why is that their responsibility? Grandma has their number. They have phones. Um, so yeah, I understand the mail works both ways. I understand the uh, phone works both ways, but, um, I just, I just felt like a sense, a small step towards peace, towards a little bit of, you know, peace and, and less anger and less tumult and less anxiety by recognizing that she's a person, um, recognizing that it's not a great situation recognizing that some some bad things happened to her. She made some sacrifices. Um, she chose to make some sacrifices, we'll say. But she made some sacrifices. And she acted out of obligation. She made a deal with us that we didn't agree to. And so I'll never agree to that. I'll never say I was wrong for wanting to be an independent adult. I'll never say I was wrong for not wanting to take care of her for her life because she did that. So there we are. Um, did it help me? I mean, I feel a little of a little lighter. I feel like I recognize someone else's humanity. I recognize someone else's struggles. Um, I, as a parent myself, uh, I know my, my kids are going to have a perception of me. That's not going to be completely rosy as well. Um, actionable items is moving, moving forward. I mean, even before yesterday, my kids and my wife talk a lot about this kind of thing. We, we do a lot, a lot of talking and, you know, Julie and I are trying to be consciously better or different or, or than our parents were to us. Um, there are not like, cause I said, so's in my house, you know, we explain why certain certain things are done, certain privileges are taken sometimes, or certain certain ways we parent them, we, um, they get an explanation. It's never, it's not really because I said so. Um, so I, you know, I make a commitment to be a, a better parent or a different type of parent uh, to my kids than um, my, my parents were to me. Again, trying not to be bitter about it, trying not, trying to understand that they, did the best they could with what they knew how to do. There's probably things happening, you know, generationally in their childhoods that shaped them. Again, my dad got so mad, he joined the Navy after high school graduation and did not speak to his mother and told his kids that his mother was dead. I mean, it became my problem, but that's an issue that was alive in my family tree before I was alive. So, um, so advice, a, a few of you have, have, have written on, on the Facebook post how, how it was helpful um, just to sort of see that issue, see that someone else had it. Um, so I would say, number one, just know, you know, don't believe, don't believe the television set and the Hallmark movies. Everything's not rosy in every family. And um, you're not deficient or lacking because you have family problems or family dysfunction, even if it gets to the point where, People don't talk to each other, um, decidedly. Number two, uh, um, you know, I read a lot yesterday as well. This is something, this process is more for me than it is for my mom. She may not res respond. She probably won't. And, and that's completely true. Um, 
I don't feel like I'm better, a better person. I don't feel like I'm bigger or morally better than my mother for taking this step. But I, I need to, I need to stop basically carrying this around. And this is a, no matter what she says, this is a, a step in that direction for me. Um, and I don't know if there's a number three. Oh, just, just, you know, raising an awareness of how this may impact, um, other relationships in your life. So, um, I, 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 I've always known, but it, it, it became really clear that my behavior changed significantly since the no contact started. As I said, in the beginning of this, I transferred a lot of that energy to my wife and to my family. And, uh, I apologize for that as well. Um, but you know, raising, having an awareness of, of, of that, of what motivates you, um, can help you change your behavior if you want to. So there's the story. I hope you get a little bit, a little bit of, uh, something out of it. I don't want to say inspiration, but you're not alone with this. And, um, so appreciate it. Thank you for listening. We'll be back. Um, I'm going to do the regular episode with my kids and the, and the nostalgic, uh, <laughs> nostalgic, um, holiday cartoons this, this Sunday as well. So, uh, thanks for listening. Bye-bye.